Well, what a joy it's been so far, eh? What a great celebration uh, this day. I'm so pleased I'm here. I hope that all you guys are as well. If you're not, well, I don't know, something wrong, I think. But this morning's a very exciting day in the life of our church, isn't it? As we formally recognise uh, Pastor, Reverend, whatever you... I mean, none of us guys like to be called Reverend much, but um, Pastor Greg and, and Sharon, his, his wife as well, and... Uh, we're, we're doing that today and we've already done that um, to recognise that from this point on and for however long God wants to call Greg here, he's here and we hope that's a long time, don't we? So We're so delighted, Greg and Sharon, that God has called you to, uh, to lead our, part, our congregation here, that you heard the call of God initially and that you obeyed the, the call of God as well upon your life. In fact, some of you may not know that um, when Greg and Sharon came and preached here, what would that be, seven, eight weeks ago, whatever that might have been, that um, the day after that um, they were here and we met them, many of us met them, that uh, they actually went to the real estate agent here and lined up a rental property, which really is pretty much as scarce as hen's teeth in this area. And I think that um, just to do that, even before knowing that we were going to say yes and call them here, that they had that faith to be able to do that. And um, so they, they organised their accommodation weeks before they knew we would say yes or no. So isn't that a confirmation that God would have them here as well because it's just worked out so well. It just happened uh, that today, um, in today's passage of scripture, is the second study in the book of Thessalonians that Greg has... Um, invited us to study with him together and uh, it's in a series of, of messages and um, today we're looking at the second chapter of Thessalonians let's get this thing to work if I can oh, look at that pastor's ministry okay and that's what we're going to be talking today about a pastor's ministry and particularly in our church so of course that's very appropriate isn't it for today's service. Now in chapter 1, although Greg didn't actually put it in this terms last week, we're seeing that... Oh, I don't know, that is, is this thing going to work? Maybe it's not. I'll turn it off, see if that works. I don't know, I think you're having me on there, Graham. All right, I'll just have to go like that or something rather when... Try that. Oh, hang on. Uh, I don't think it's going to behave. Red's on, isn't it, right? Don't worry. I'll just shake my fist at you instead. <laughs> oh, there we go. Look at that. All right. That was Alan's fault, was it? <laughs> okay. All right, we'll blame Graham Allen. Anyway, whoever. Okay, so even though Greg didn't mention it in specific terms last week, last, the first chapter of Thessalonians actually looks at Paul as being an evangelist. And um, everywhere Paul went, he shared the gospel, didn't he? There was nowhere that Paul set his foot where he didn't talk about Jesus. And so... It must have been 
a wonderful experience for him to come to Thessalonica and to be able to share the word of God with the people there. And you know what? Every time Paul preached, he suffered persecution. Every single time. There wasn't a time where he talked about Jesus that he didn't cop it. A pretty big time, actually. So it's not surprising that straight after Saul, or Paul, his name was first Saul, the Jewish name, he became, uh, when he became a Christian, God sent him to preach to the Gentiles so he took on a Roman name, or God gave him a Roman name, of Paul. But everywhere that um, Paul went when he preached the gospel, he experienced persecution. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us because in the book of Acts, in chapter 9 and 13 to 16, um, God said to Ananias, I want you to go and lay your hands on Paul, similar to what folk did here today, and just to say, Paul, you are going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but you're going to be persecuted every time that you do that. And Ananias, a godly old man, had heard about Saul. He had gone around persecuting Christians himself, throwing them into jail, having them killed. And so uh, Ananias objected to that and he said, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorised by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to people of Israel. And notice this, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So it wasn't a surprise that Paul was going to be persecuted. You know, on Paul's second missionary journey, he and Silas, and this is just some examples, he, he and Silas preached the good news at a town called Philippi. And in, in Philippi, um, he, he preached boldly. There was a young girl there who was possessed by an evil spirit who followed them around, annoyed Paul immensely, and eventually Paul said to him, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. That young lady was healed but it caused a lot of angst amongst particularly some of the businessmen in town because they made their business out of making shrines uh, to another false god. And so their business kind of went up the wall as well. And so uh, they caused a riot in town which actually dragged Paul and Silas before the courts, before the people. They were treated shamefully, folks. They were really treated shamefully. They were flogged with Roman whips that were made out of strips of leather, impregnated with bits of glass and bone that would actually shred the backs of people who were being flogged. And so it was very severe uh, lacerations. It's not a, an experience for the faint-hearted, is it? And so they were thrown into prison simply for preaching the good news and delivering a, a young lady from demon possession. The missionaries, Paul and Silas, were accused of turning the whole city upside down. And it did. They did. So no wonder they were opposed um, by Satan and his followers. So Paul and Silas were driven out of town and they moved, moved to the next uh, city, Thessalonica. And uh, that was a distance of about 80 kilometres. Now, folks, think about this. 
they had been flogged with this horrific flogging. They'd been sent out of town. They'd walked 80 kilometres. Their, their wounds would not have healed. They would not have even scabbed over yet. So they would have been in a lot of pain as they walked there. But they walked straight into the Jewish synagogues and, and Thessalonians here tells us for three days in a row, three Sabbath days in a row, they preached the good news of Jesus until they were driven out of that town again, but not before establishing the church there. So some months later, when Paul wrote this letter to the new believers in Thessalonica, he mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2 the shameful treatment that he and Silas had endured in Philippi. Let me just read those verses to you. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. Wasn't that courageous? They've been flogged everywhere they went and they're still going to keep at it. They're not going to give up because of that. Well, uh, in chapter 1, Paul also commended the Thessalonians for their boldness. It wasn't only just Paul that was bold, or Silas, they were bold in their sharing of the gospel as well. And that gospel just simply means good news. That's what they did. They went around sharing good news. Well, you think people would want to hear about good news, but so many didn't because it reminded them that they were sinners. God would forgive their sins if they confessed, but they weren't prepared to do that. So instead, they beat up the people who shared that good news with people. So everywhere Paul went preaching the gospel, Paul, uh, people told Paul about the witness of these Christians here in Thessalonica. Their witness spread everywhere, across that world, known across all the churches at that time. So they were bold in witnessing, even through persecution. And though <clears throat> this must have been so encouraging for Paul himself, don't you think? That he was beaten up, and yet they were also be prepared to persecute it for preaching about Jesus. You know, if you intend to follow the Lord Jesus, you can expect to be persecuted as well. Let me just go on. Don't know, I think might have given up, is it? Oh, here we go. <clears throat> so they were um, persecuted. In fact, do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 18? They've hated me. They're going to hate you as well. So to be an evangelist, one who unashamedly shares the good news of Jesus, expect to be hated. Folks, expect to be persecuted by the enemies of Jesus. Now, in chapter 2, we see Paul not as an evangelist, but as a pastor, because he explains how he cared for the believers there. So in verse 1, he tells the Thessalonians how relieved he is that uh, his short visit to their city when he planted the church there, was not a waste of time. It was not in vain. Where he taught the, the new believers about the basics of the Christian faith. And he's so pleased that that just was not a waste of time for him. So having moved from Philippi, Paul writes in verse 2 that despite the persecution, 
with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition there in Thessalonica. Now, some of my comments today are going to be directed particularly to Greg and and Sharon as well, but also to ourselves as the congregation under Greg's pastoral care. So here in chapter 2, we're going to find the traits of a godly pastor. Verse 2 talks about courage in sharing the gospel in the, face, in the face of opposition. It was courageous to be able to do that. Secondly, Paul talks about the sincerity. He hasn't got any false motives at all. He's prepared to go and with sincere love for these people share about Jesus. And then in verse 4, talks about being approved by God and trusted with the gospel. Years ago, when I was leading the church in Aladala, um, after we'd been there quite some years, a, a, an elderly gentleman came to their morning services. And he came for probably two months or so, like that. But he just came on a Sunday morning, then he disappeared until the next Sunday morning, until I had an opportunity to be able to talk to him. And as we spoke together, he told me that he was going down, we were in Aladala, he was going down to Naruma, but he came from Wollongong. Now, Wollongong down to Naruma is around about 250 kilometres. He told me he was going down to start a church in Naruma. But as we spoke together, I really became very uncomfortable in my spirit. On the outward appearance, he was a lovely, lovely gentleman, kind, great-looking guy, but what he was sharing with me just didn't quite gel. And finally, I worked out what was going on there. He was going down to set up a false church, one of the cults, not one of the well-known ones like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. I actually forget what breed it was, but I know that some of the stuff that he shared with me was not biblical at all. And so... I was quite amazed and I never found out why he would call into our church, the Baptist church down there, because you'd have to go three kilometres off the highway, whereas he could go straight down the highway and there was churches right on the highway. I never discovered that. But the the point I, I mentioned that is that we, and particularly Greg, as our, uh, as our pastor, as our shepherd, has a huge responsibility of protecting us of those people who come clothed in, sh- in sheep's clothing, but actually underneath, they're ravenous wolves, uh, spreading a false gospel. So the next trait that uh, Paul mentions in verse 4 <clears throat> is a desire to please God, not man. So it's God alone that our pastor is answerable to, not to us, sure to the deacons, in a sense, you know, he is answerable to, to them in that way. Um, but, you know, Greg is answerable not so much to us, but to God. There are going to be some um, times, some decisions that, God, that Greg will make that all of us are not going to agree with. Some of us are going to say, well, you know, I, I can't handle that, that's not right. But ultimately, our pastor, as I said, is answerable to God for the decisions that he makes. 
I'm sure, God, that Greg will listen to the leadership, um, consult with them, listen to advice and opinions of us, weigh them carefully, change his opinion if necessary. But remember what James chapter 13, verse 1 says. Not many of you, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You know, that warning was always in the back of my mind when I overled that church down the south coast there. Greg is answerable to God above any of us here. <clears throat> so, in verses 4 to 6, we could be summed up in this way. Uh, let me just read to you, but I could sum up those words just with one word, uh, gentleness. Verses 4 to 6. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We're not looking to praise men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. And then he goes on. So he's not there to talk about himself or blow his own bags or so. But there he's talking about how general, how, how genuine he is in the call. And then in verse 7, we see that the role of a pastor is just like a mother. A mother. Gentleness, isn't it? Paul cared deeply for the church. He loved them dearly as a mother tends her children and is prepared to sacrifice herself on behalf of her offspring. So Paul was prepared to expend himself for the church, but not just, for, not just um, expend himself, but also prepared to give his life. So here the idea is of a nursing mum nourishing her baby by gently and lovingly supplying the child's needs. So, in a sense, just as Paul was like a mother to those children, Greg is a mother to us as well. And then Paul says the role of a pastor is to be like a father, in verse 11 and 12. And the role involves encouraging, comforting, urging. Well, Greg, you've got a a task on your hands, haven't you? <laughs> I'm bisexual. <laughs> okay, yeah. <clears throat> well, hopefully. <clears throat> bisexual and... We won't go there. <laughs> yeah, father and mother, that's it. So Greg is both, as you just said, father and mother to us who are under his spiritual care. You're like a mum caring for a little baby, supplying the needs there, nourishing, nurturing, and so on in that way. But you're also like a dad where Paul uses three words to describe the role. Encouraging, comforting, and urging. Look at verse 11 and 12, if you have your Bible there. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. You know, I think those three words there could actually be summed up with one word, 
motivating. A pastor has to be a motivator as well. And sometimes dad motivates by encouraging. Sometimes he motivates by uh, comforting. And other times by urging. Even perhaps urging with a strap. I don't think there's too many parents who urge their children with a strap these days. But those of us who are older probably remember that quite well. And um, either with our dad or mum or maybe in the headmaster's office. Well, Greg's office is just through that door there, so watch out. (laughs) Okay, so sometimes dad motivates by encouraging, sometimes comforting, sometimes urging. And so it's a huge role that Greg has. The role of a mother and father can change sometimes. Their roles are not exclusively gender-related. It's like coming to church. Sometimes we feel in the need of a word of love and encouragement, don't we? We might have had a really bad week. Things have gone wrong. Might have had some tragedy in our families, in our workplace. We might have lost a friend or a, a spouse or... Or whatever else tragedy can happen. And that being the case, we just need a comforting word from the scripture to remind us that someone loves us, that God loves us as his children, and that Greg loves us as a mum loving her kids. And there are many passages in scripture that uh, talk about loving and comforting and caring. And other times when we come to church, we're going to hear a word from Greg that will motivate us, that will urge us, that will challenge us in some way. So in that sense, we need both a mother and a father aspect of care, which the Thessalonians received from the Apostle Paul. Now in verse 10, Paul claimed to be holy, righteous and blameless before them. Well, that's a huge claim, isn't it? A huge claim. He wasn't lying. He wasn't blowing his own bags. You know, I was a pastor in one church for 16 years. I could never say that. I could never say that. Nevertheless, we should all strive to be like our chief shepherd. The Apostle Peter wrote in chapter 1 and verse 15, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy. So be holy in all that you do. So Greg, according to verse 12, your overall goal is to gently nurture, encourage, comfort us, urge us, and I guess at times all children need to be disciplined as well as loved. In fact, discipline is an evidence of love, isn't it? So we who are parents and grandparents know what caring for children often takes a lot of patience. So Greg, we commit ourselves to pray for you that God will give you patience for us, our naughty kids, when we are sometimes. And folks, we need to be patient with Greg, particularly if you don't agree with a stand on something like that. And then finally in verse 13, Greg, Paul prayed continually for them, giving thanks that they received the word of God with joy and that they accepted it as a guideline for living. 
So prayer is a vital aspect of the pastor's life, a vital aspect of the pastor's life. Greg, please pray for us. And we commit ourselves to pray for you and for Sharon as well. Prayer, prayer is the breath, isn't it? The breath of God in our lives. So in the message translation, Paul wrote in chapter 1 and verse 2, every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Do you know how many churches Paul set up? How much of his... And he said that to every church that he set up. Dozens and dozens of them. He must have spent a long time in prayer, mustn't he? But every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers. As we call to mind your work of faith, your labour of love, your patience of hope in following our Master, Jesus Christ. Friends, this challenge to prayer is for all of us, not just for Greg. So now, in summary. The summary of Paul's pastoral ministry. It was a calling for which he was prepared and to suffer for. No backing down. Verse 2, declared and preached the gospel despite strong opposition. There was no doctrinal error. Not like this bloke down in Ulladulla. He was sharing the good news, not our own made-up story. And I know that Greg's good news comes straight from the word of God, not from himself. Number three, no impure motives, no deception. We didn't try to trick you, he says. No attempt to please man. It's God he's answerable to. No flattery, no praise from man. In verse 6, but only from God, no holding back. Verse 8, he shared the gospel, not just the gospel, but his own life as well. No greed. Verse 9, Paul toiled hard so as not to be a financial burden. We know that Paul was a tent maker and he would make tents so that he didn't have to draw a wage from the churches and particularly the young churches that he was establishing. So it wasn't about money. So we thought about the role of a pastor, our pastor. We thought about the role of a congregation that we have to play. And Paul commended the Thessalonian church for that. And he summed it up nicely in verse 13. And in the message translation, it says this. When you got the message of God we preached, you didn't pass it off as just one more human opinion, but you took it to heart. That's the desire of Greg for us, to take it to heart, what he's sharing from the word of God. You took it to heart as God's true word to you, which it is, God himself at work in you believers. So may God help us to take to heart the scriptures and obey them as obedient children so that our pastor Greg and Sharon will have joy in serving us in their calling to this fellowship. Now I've just got one more very important short point uh, to, to make here. We often talk, well, we will often talk about Greg and Sharon's ministry amongst our church and in our community and so on. It's a partnership that they share. But folks, please never take Sharon's role for granted. 
It's a tough role to be a pastor's wife. I know because I've got one. <laughs> you know, a pastor, pastor has to be a confidant. So Sharon is Greg's confidant. She bears the brunt of the complaints and the criticism. It's not easy. So it's just as appropriate to talk about Greg and Sharon as it is to talk about Sharon and Greg. Please keep that in mind. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the privilege that you have given to us as a congregation that you have actually called Greg and Sharon here to lead us, to be an example to us, to comfort us when needed, to scold us when needed, but overall to love us. And we thank you for your love in providing that, that or them for us as a congregation. God, would you encourage them in their role here? Would you supply their every need? Help us to be loving and kind and thoughtful, considerate of them, so that they will have joy as they serve us here. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.